Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. What is the gospel message? Growing up, Jacob Rohr heard about Jesus dying for his sins so he could go to heaven. However, he's come to see that this way of thinking is not only wrong, but goes against what Jesus himself taught. Listen in to Rohr as he explains the five elements of the gospel, including repentance, the kingdom, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and obedience to Jesus. You may be surprised to discover that the gospel you received is not the whole message. Here now is interview number 12, Jacob Rohr on the gospel. Welcome to Rest Studio, Jacob. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me this morning. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your story of faith? I've always grown up in church. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, Springfield, Ohio, and uh, always went to church when I was younger. But I gave my life to Jesus when I was nine. I remember attending my parents' Bible study when I was younger, and they were going through this book, and every so often there were these pages that had illustrations on them. One of these illustrations was had a man on a cross, like crawling across the cross, and it was connecting this, uh, this chasm. There was this chasm deep below, and this cross was bridging these two sides. And <clears throat> it was just a really powerful picture, and that kind of su- got me started to think about I need to give my life to Jesus. Was that in a Sunday school setting or? It was in like a Wednesday night setting. Um, okay. But it was something that just happened like internally. Okay. Like my parents didn't know about it. That was the first church I attended. I've always been passionate about being a Christian, but my first church experience wasn't uh, the best. It wasn't the greatest uh, for a number of different reasons. But we ended up changing churches to the one I currently attend. That's my home church, which little did I know would change my life. I'm dying here. What happened next? Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, we ended up leaving, and my mom said... Uh, well, what, what kind of church were you at before? What, oh, it, it was a um, Church of the Brethren church. Church of the... What is that? I guess technically it's German Baptist. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. And why did you guys leave that and go to a different one? Uh, we left because of church conflict, um, and also... Uh, and you, you were j- just a kid at the time? Yeah, yeah. I was in... I mean, up until sixth grade, I attended, yeah. Okay. Um, and I didn't have the best experience there. I got bullied a lot by the, by the youth group and whatnot. Okay. And uh, I already got that enough at school. I didn't need that at church. Right. Yeah. So you ended up going to what church? Lawrenceville. Lawrenceville Church of God. Okay. Which is literally right down the road from where I live. And like I said, at that time, I hadn't been too impressed with church, but I started attending there. What I found... At Lawrenceville, I think God had prepared for my parents and I and my brother. I just found community there, and also uh, the pastor there, Alan Kane, he uh, uh, he always said he saw something in me. He always uh, said that God was uh, kind of telling him to, to prod me in the direction of the Bible college. So fast forward my uh, senior year in high school, and um, I can't tell the whole story about how I ended up going to Atlanta Bible College. Uh, but to make a long story short, it was a very that, that that time in my life was very pivotal, and God showed up in in the biggest way with signs that I asked Him for to uh, to confirm my calling to go to ABC. 
And then I started in the spring of 2013, uh, and I just graduated May of this past year. Okay. And I'm interning at a church in Texas now, in Gatesville, Gatesville, Texas. Great, great. What are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about the gospel. First of all, let's start by asking, what do you mean by the gospel? Because there's gospel music, there's the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, mm. the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. There's the gospel according to Oprah Winfrey. So what, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Uh, the gospel uh, according to Jesus. What did Jesus preach and teach, and what did the early church preach and teach as good news to those who don't already know it? Okay. Within the last three years, uh, my idea of the gospel has completely changed from what it was when I first accepted it when I was younger. Uh, yeah. what, w- what would you say, how would you describe what you believed like as a child and, and early on what the gospel message was? Okay. Usually when I uh, try to convey uh, the gospel that was presented to me, uh, it's very much uh, similar to a typical evangelical gospel approach. Like what? Which would be, you would ask someone, do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that uh, Jesus died on the cross? for your sins, and that he was raised on the third day, and that if you ask forgiveness for those sins, you will receive eternal life, which is at some point being in heaven with God and Jesus. And that was the gospel that was presented to me, and I feel like that's a typical uh, evangelical presentation. Um, The problem is, however, that's wrong. Go on. And I didn't know any better until, as I said, the last few years, especially when I was at the Bible college, when I started to read the Bible for myself, when I started to read what Jesus actually said and taught, and I found a big problem with what is traditionally passed off as the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming home one day from class. It was one of my survey classes, and I was just really pumped. It was a, it was a good class, and uh, a lot who, of— Who was the teacher? It was either Bob Jones or Joe Martin. Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember which one it was. Right. And— um, uh, it was just uh, a great class. A lot of light bulbs went off. I was, I was starting to put the pieces together uh, of God's meta narrative that we see in the Bible, and very excited. And then I sat down on my bed and I got really sad. And I thought, you know, I'm learning all this great stuff, but if somebody came up and asked me what the gospel was, I couldn't tell them. Yeah, I I didn't have an answer for them. And I thought if I leave. Bible college, and I don't know what the gospel is, and I don't know how to tell somebody, then I'm wasting my time here. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that started uh, a journey to study what the gospel is, to understand it, to see why it's important. Important. Where is it in the Bible? Mm -hmm. Where can I show somebody? And encourage others to do the same. That's so great. I remember when I first went to the Atlanta Bible College, I took a class with Anthony Buzzard, and I don't remember the name of the class, but he went on and on and on about the gospel being about the kingdom. And I had already known about the kingdom, but I didn't make the connection between message of salvation that I share with somebody who isn't already a Christian and the hope. And so that, that for me, was very exciting to hear that mm-hmm. and to see even just that one part of the gospel illuminated and explained Let's present for a moment that I am an interested unbeliever. Can you share the gospel with me? Yes, yes. Um, How would that sound? Okay, so the way I've broken it down is into uh, five or six parts. Okay. And these five or six parts I have to hit on, or I'm not 
sharing the gospel. I'm sharing aspects of it, but I'm not sharing the whole gospel. If I were explaining the gospel to you, uh, I would begin with, in no particular order, uh, but this is just the way I do it, uh, repentance, then sharing about the kingdom with you. Uh, what is the kingdom? Why is it important? Talking about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and obedience to him in that gospel. And what we see in the gospels is Jesus talks about the kingdom all the time. That, right. was, that was the foundation uh, for which he did what he did. And then his death and his resurrection is a means to, to that kingdom that he talked about. And then so what are we supposed to do in the present until he gets here? Continue to practice repentance in obedience to him and his gospel. Let me unpack that a little bit. When you say the kingdom, what do you mean? For lack of a better word, a new world order. Okay. Um, instead of this present evil age that we live in where Satan is the god of the sage and our own uh, desires and our own longings rule over us, instead, God, the Father, will be uh, the one ruling over all, and Jesus, the risen king, will be ruler of all the earth on a renewed, restored earth mm-hmm. with the, the actual world healed and relationships between people healed and our bodies are healed and we're immortalized and ensure mm. um, everything that's wrong with this world being made right. Okay. In a gospel presentation, would you also include the judgment aspect of the kingdom? You know, what you just said, setting everything right. Well, that includes a lot of people who are wrong. <laughs> no, right? I, and governments, too. Y- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if there was no judgment, there would be no need to repent. Right. Right. So for you, you would think of that more under the category of repentance. Yes. Okay. Yes. So why should we repent? Uh, because a kingdom is coming. And this kingdom is going to make everything wrong right. But in order to do that, sin and evil has to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself on the negative side of that judgment, that's not looking good for you. But there's a way out of that. Uh, repent from your current lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means to get there, which is through Jesus' death and resurrection in obedience to him in the present. Yeah. Uh, you were talking to me yesterday about how getting a good handle on the doctrine of sin and our depraved condition before God <clears throat> without Christ, you're seeing how that's so significant and important. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was preparing a sermon one night for a preaching class, and this uh, idea of sin came into my mind. And I also learned about John Calvin and his outline of theology, Tulip, and a T uh, for total depravity. While I don't agree that we are totally depraved in the sense that we can't even choose God if we want to, I think we are pretty messed up uh, and depraved. And like I said the other day, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for that. Because uh, what I hear on radio and on TV and just in the Christian arena in America is lots of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, which is all true. It needs to be affirmed. But do we truly understand our position before God apart from Jesus? Do we really understand that apart from Jesus, everything I am is offensive to God? Uh, Because God is good and I am not, God has to judge that in a negative way. God's wrath is on us, but we're saved by that. Um, by the coming kingdom and through Jesus. And like I said the other day, if I have a shallow view of my sin and my a place before God apart from Jesus, then I'm going to have a shallow response to him in accordance with Jesus and obedience to him. But however, 
if I truly understand my position before God, uh, then I'll be that much more obedient and that much more willing to serve and be truly appreciative for, for what I was brought out of and what I'm given through Jesus. What has spurred you to consider this understanding of sin as being so important? Was there a person that you were talking to or an experience you had or a book you read or what, what got you <clears throat> onto this? Well, there's one gentleman in particular. Uh, his name is Paul Washer. <laughs> okay. Paul Washer. <laughs> yeah, Paul Washer. And um, if you're drinking from that stream, then I understand. <laughs> yeah. Theologically, you know, we wouldn't agree on much, but man, he is a great preacher and he doesn't mess around. He gets to the point. And I think he offers something that at least I haven't seen from a lot of people. And that's just getting down to the fact of we are terrible apart from any redeeming work of Jesus. Is the sermon you heard is the shocking youth message? That yes, one? that one. Yeah. Uh, that's We is, actually have that on this podcast, podcast episode 20. Uh, we have the shocking youth message of Paul Washer. And uh, that is such a phenomenal sermon. It is. Be- because really, he he gets invited into this conference of some sort, and he... It's a youth conference. Yeah, a youth conference. And he starts preaching, and he's he's very hardcore. I mean, he's like, look... You have to live the way God says, and he's talking about holiness. And at one point, everybody gets excited, and they all start clapping. And he turns to them, and he says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Yeah. And then you can hear a pin drop in the room because he just basically called them all out on their sin and really went into specifics as far as the TV shows that they're watching, how they're dressing, and how they're treating each other it really there's a whole stream of revival preachers mm-hmm. since probably since the beginning i mean jesus john the baptist before jesus is a revival preacher we go to the uh the hebrew bible and find some revival preachers but in recent history you have john wesley as a revival movement in the 1700s and you have a lot of revival in america happening in that period in the 1800s as well many of us have not seen it in our lifetimes, yeah, right? Yeah, So yeah, it is I mean, rather I mean, shocking. Yes, it, it's, uh, it grabs your attention when you do see it because it's not all that common. And he's bringing a certain dynamic of truth that I don't hear a lot. Yeah. And I haven't seen a whole lot. And it's refreshing yeah. uh, because it's true. Yeah, well, it's, you read the Bible, especially you read John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, mm-hmm. you're going to see that same style. You look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus, yes, we, have, we have so much on Jesus where we see him calling people to repentance. I mean, the summary statement of his message he preached from town to town was the first word, repent. Repent. That was the very first word of his message. The kingdom of God is at yep. hand. So Jesus is a, a repentance preacher. He sends the 12 out to preach. Mark summarizes that by saying he, he sent them out to preach that men would repent. That's how he summarizes the message. It's like, exactly. okay, well, that's not quite what I hear on the Christian radio. Yeah. What I hear on the Christian radio, and, and also growing up as well, uh, before we went through a, a significant theological change ourselves at Living Hope, is God loves you, Jesus died for you, you're special, you're so valuable and needed and all this. And it's like, look, if you're coming from a, for example, my dad came from a uh, Roman Catholic background, growing up in the 60s, in, the, in that period where his experience of Catholicism was 
God is an angry judge who, you know, he only got the depravity where, where you're, a, you're a worthless maggot and how dare you even think that you can even talk to God. You can talk to the priest. The priest will talk to God. And my dad, for example, found himself totally alienated from a God of wrath and judgment and indignation. And so he concluded, well, since I'm going to hell, and of course, within the Catholic mindset, hell is eternal conscious yeah. torment mm -hmm. in a burning fire. Yeah. Since that's my future anyhow, I might as well just live like a crazy person right now. And he really did shipwreck his life in so many different ways during that period until he discovered and heard the message about God's love. And uh, then it's funny because me growing up, all I heard was God's love. <laughs> yeah. So when I started encountering the Leonard Ravenhills, the Paul Washers, and some of these revival, uh, Keith Daniel, some of these re revival preachers, I was just like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. You know, it really grabbed my attention, mm -hmm. and not in a negative way. Like, hearing about God's justice and His wrath and His judgment, to me, was exciting, not fearful and like, I should run away. It was just like, I felt incredibly challenged. Like, hey, God's not a bunny rabbit. He's, oh, he, he's, right? a warrior. he's a warrior. Yeah. And if God really loves, then he must hate also. And if he loves, then he must hold sin and evil accountable. And that's what he's going to do. It says in John 5 that he's given all judgment to Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to hold everything accountable because God, right. God does love. Yeah. Here's one of my goals in my own preaching is to hold both aspects of God intention without slipping into one or the other. Mm. I'm not saying in every sermon. A lot of times in a sermon, you can't do, do everything, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But I'm saying in my ministry that if I'm going to preach about the wrath of God, that I, I should also want to preach about the love of God so that people don't end up in despair, mm. okay? And I don't want to preach about the love of God so then everyone's like, oh, God loves me. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. Right? So I feel like we, we have to always be doing both. And the gospel message, as I hear you describing it, I agree, it really is a complete package because you're looking at repentance, you're looking at the kingdom. Those are both pulling you towards significantly changing your life, but you don't have to despair because you have that means to do it through the death and resurrection of Christ. So talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit, how that fits in with sin and the kingdom the cross aspect. Okay. So when I heard preachers when I was younger, I'd always hear them talk about the cross and Jesus dying and his subsequent resurrec resurrection. And I always felt there was more. I was always wanting for more. I'm like, it can't just be that. There has to be something more to it. And I found that in the kingdom aspect of the gospel that I was never really told about. And so why is Jesus' death and resurrection important? It's not so I can be forgiven and get to heaven. Romans 5.9, uh, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And uh, this makes perfect sense with what, like what you said earlier, John the Baptist, and then Jesus said, uh, Repent, because there's a kingdom coming, because with that kingdom comes wrath, comes great blessings, unimaginable blessings, but it also comes wrath and accounting for evil. So Jesus and his death saves us from that wrath to come. Yeah. But if you don't appreciate your predicament, then you're not going to appreciate what he's done for us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if I, you know, I'm not perfect. 
but I'll, at least I'm not that guy. Right, right. I'm not as bad uh, as that one. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I haven't you know, killed anybody. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not as bad as Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein. But uh, really, in the eyes of God, I am just as offensive to him as Hitler. When we start comparing ourselves to others, we can say that we're better than some other people. But when God's the standard, that goes out the window. All of us are in the same boat called sin, and it's all going down. Yeah, I want to talk about the wrath again just a minute, because I feel like this is an aspect of the Bible that doesn't really play well in our society today. Because, well, I, I don't know, like, I guess we think that anger is a sin, or we think that wrath is beneath God or beneath a great person. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to take into consideration when you suffer an injustice, you have wrath. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Like, if you're dealing with some product that you purchased, and it totally doesn't work, or it breaks down. Let's say you bought a car from a dealer, and the next day you go on a trip, and it breaks down. You bring it to, you get it towed to a mechanic, and the mechanic says, this engine is shot. Let's say you spent $10,000 on this car, $20,000 on this car. Let's, whatever amount you would spend on a car. I don't know. And you got a lemon. Would you have wrath? Oh, absolutely. Who wouldn't? And, and it would be justified. Yeah. Now, what the Bible says is sinful is when you have an outburst of wrath and when you sin, when you use that wrath as motivation to sin. Like if you went back to the dealer and like set the car on fire, I mean, that would... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. That, that's obviously that a... Right. Uh, that, and then it burns down the place. You're damaging other... Putting people in danger and uh, destroying possessions and all this kind of thing. But to get on the phone and say to the person, I'm really angry because this car is broken. What are you going to do for me? And if, and if they don't do anything, then advocating to the next level, reporting it to the powers that be and mm -hmm. try, trying to get justice for that. You know, that's not... That's your anger motivating you to seek justice. And I feel like a lot of social justice causes are likewise motivated by anger. Yeah. Uh, and I would almost say it's a righteous anger. And there yeah. is a difference between a righteous anger and just like getting really upset and taking it out on people. It's who, an anger motivated by seeing an unjust situation. Right. If you really love someone when somebody hurts them, it bothers you. Absolutely. And if, if God is creator and everything that we see, he created, including us. And so if God is really loving, then he has to account for evil. Right. There's no getting around it, which yeah. would include wrath. If yeah. God doesn't, then he's not a just God and he's not a very loving God. He's not a God that I would want to serve. I heard uh, an apologist say it like this. If there was a judge that was corrupt, uh, we would say... That's wrong. That's not right. He needs to hold people accountable for their actions. Right. And so why would we expect anything less from a God? Uh, from the true God. Yeah, yeah, from the true God, if we can expect that from inferior beings. Right. I was thinking, too, about this whole wrath idea and the concept of the victim versus the perpetrator. Like, if you, if you are on the underbelly of society where you are the the victim of some sort of injustice or economic predatory practices then you you're seeking justice like you want somebody to come in with wrath i mean 
the analogy I like to use is like an old Wild West village where the bandits have taken over and shot the sheriff and nobody can have an honest business without paying bribes to these gangsters and thugs in their bandana. Well, they wouldn't be gangsters, but they, they'd be the, uh, these guys in these bandanas with their pistols, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and the black hat. What does somebody want in that situation? Do they want the uh, United States government to send in some sort of loving, caring, nurturing person? No, that's not what they want. What they want is to send in a new sheriff or send in a marshal or send in the army, send in some sort of authority who's going to carry out wrath on these wicked bandits yeah. so that you can have justice again, so that you can just do, do what you want to do, which is work an honest day's wage and not get ripped off on the at the end of it or get shot because you didn't watch what you said around certain people. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you are on the uh, on the uh, downside of justice and you're the victim, you want wrath. Wrath is, you perceive wrath as a good thing and, and so judgment as a good thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're the perpetrator, which is what you're talking about here in the gospel aspect, you're the perpetrator of sin. You're the perpetrator of crimes against God. You don't want wrath. You don't want wrath. You want mercy. Exactly. And we, we find both of those in the gospel. We find wrath and accounting for uh, of evil and injustice, uh, but we also have an opportunity to remove ourselves from that uh, through Jesus and through the gospel and through the cross. And so we get both right there in the gospel. Once we perceive our tenuous situation before God in light of our failings and our rebellion and his wrath, then we can cry out to him for mercy and receive that mercy through the forgiveness of what Christ has accomplished on the cross mm. so that we can look forward to the kingdom. Yeah. When that same restorative action that happened in our heart happens to the whole world. Mm. And in the meantime, be an ambassador of that age to come in the present and share that with others. Absolutely. And something I want to hit on that I failed to mention earlier, when I, when I was talking about the kingdom as gospel, uh, it's not only an end-of-the-age reality, uh, but it's also something that we can presently experience right now. And that's through... Jesus' teachings for, uh, for how his disciples should conduct themselves is a glimpse of what the reality is going to be in the future when he returns. So there's a present aspect of the kingdom uh, that we uh, live by right now, and then its full inauguration on a macro scale happens when he returns and he resets the order. I, I think I could use an analogy, see what you think about this. You have smartphones and flip phones, right? And you, there, yeah. are, there are some of these holdouts, especially among older folks, and they're like, I have a flip phone, I'm happy with it, and, and that, that's just fine. And, but there was that time when a lot of people were transitioning from the, the dumb phone to the smartphone, mm-hmm. from the phone that just made calls and texts with all these numbers as representing letters to a phone that had a full keyboard and that you could talk to and it would just type out your messages for you. Right. And so you have people that are living the new, but then you also have people who are living the old all mixed up in the same world together. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like think of when the, the first iPhones came out, like there were some early adopters and they are, yeah, they're still making phone calls. They're still texting but they're also surfing the web. They're also doing these other futuristic things that the flip phone users 
are not yet able to do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's in a sense the way or an analogy of how we're we're living a moral lifestyle. Other people are trying to live morally as well. Yeah, of course. But we're we're doing the kind of morality that. Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is the kind of morality that's going to pervade the whole world in the last day when the kingdom comes. So I feel like there is, it's it's sort of like living that futuristic way in the present, even while a lot of people are not early adopters. And part of, at least my belief, is that we're not called to force people to adopt the kingdom lifestyle, but we're called to invite them. Mm. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. He he was an inviter. He didn't force people. It was up to them, and some some accepted and some rejected him. Yeah. Well, if this is something you're uh, working through, uh, I would go ask uh, your pastor or uh, your youth leader or your Christian friends and ask them what the gospel is, because I found the best way to figure out where people are is to just ask them. And what I found out, and you can chime in on this as well, but I feel like people... Most Christians don't know what the gospel is. They have aspects of it, but they don't know what the true gospel is. And I'm okay with saying that because I was one of them for a large portion of my life. And other people I've talked to, other Christians I've talked to, don't know either. Uh, So I just want to share a few verses with you. Uh, If I was sharing with somebody the gospel where where I'd go, uh, I'd first go to uh, Matthew 4, 23. Uh, Before I would show them this verse, I would ask them, what the gospel is. Okay. If you had to share the gospel, what would you say? And then I'd point them to Matthew 4.23. And in Matthew 4.23, Matthew says that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And I would ask that person, what is the gospel of the kingdom? Because we both agree that we uh, need to share the gospel. It's something that's changed our lives. What do people say when you ask them? Well, hmm. okay, so for example, uh, I was at a theological conference in San Antonio. Uh, I came back to the hotel, and I was sitting out in the lobby area doing some work. I got pulled into a conversation by these gentlemen. I found out one of them. Uh, I could just tell by the way he was talking. He was churched. Uh, we started talking about the gospel, and I asked him, what, what is the gospel? And... Um, he said, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. No, he didn't. Yeah, no, he did. Um, he, said, <laughs> he, said, he said, those are the Gospels. And uh, I'm like, yes, those are the Gospels, but what is the Gospel message? Uh, he went on to say, uh, Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread from heaven. He's the light of the world. And I'm like, yeah, all those are true, but that's not the Gospel. That's not the message he preached yes. that brought salvation. Yes. And so I said, what, what is the Gospel? And then he proceeded to go on and talk about the Roman road. And I said, yes, I know about the Roman road. I know what Paul says. And he's not wrong, but what does Jesus say the gospel is? And he didn't give Did me... Did he an- throw up his hands eventually? Well, like, well, I don't know, man. He, uh, well, Why don't you tell me? He, uh, he didn't give me an answer. And so I'm like, all right, here, I'll, I'll share with you the gospel that was presented to me. And what I just said earlier, forgiveness, uh, I need to recognize I'm a sinner, Jesus' death, resurrection, eternal life, meaning going to heaven. And after I listed off each one of those things, uh, his affirmation grew stronger. And he was like, yes, yes. And then I got to the end and I'm like, Jesus never taught any of those things. (laughs) And he just got this deflated look. Oh man. And he was in shock and he didn't have an answer. In other words, he didn't know what the gospel was. And then I proceeded to tell him. 
And now, yeah. what did he say when you told him about the kingdom? Was he like, yeah, I already know that? Or was he, he like, oh, that's interesting? He wasn't really sure what to make of it. Yeah. Which is ironic because this is what Jesus talked about. And it's the only thing he talked about. Well, showing somebody what the gospel is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is fairly simple because you won't find anywhere, you won't find one verse uh, where Jesus is proclaiming his death and resurrection as gospel. He tells, right. yeah, he tells about it to his disciples in an intimate setting, and even they don't understand it. It's not until after he's risen that the light bulb goes off and they go, right. oh, okay. And then we see in Acts and the rest of the New Testament that uh, Jesus' death and resurrection is proclaimed as, as gospel alongside the kingdom message mm-hmm. Jesus was already preaching. And so I'd start in Matthew 4.23 and ask him, what is that? Then I'd stay in Matthew, and I'd go to Matthew 16, Matthew 16.21. This is right after Peter uh, gives his confession of who Jesus is. And <clears throat> in verse 21, Matthew says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So in Matthew's gospel, this is the very first time anything about death, anything about resurrection shows up. And it's in the context mm-hmm. of his disciples. He tells them, says he began to show. So my question is, what gospel is Jesus preaching between Matthew 4 and Matthew 16? And then even after this point, he doesn't proclaim it as a gospel because uh, even his own disciples don't understand. Ultimately, in Acts eight twelve, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And in Acts eight twelve, we see Philip is preaching the gospel. And what is he saying? He's telling them about the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God consists of, of repentance, a present understanding of the kingdom, and obviously the end of the age kingdom, and the name of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, as vehicles through which we can get to that kingdom mm-hmm. in obedience to him. Right. And so Acts 8, 12 is a, is a nice summary verse that brings everything together. What is the gospel? It's the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think this just gives a much fuller, more well-rounded picture of what the New Testament gospel is, as opposed to mainstream Christianity giving out these little gospel tracts that really aren't true to what Jesus said. Right. Especially the part where you're telling people that this is how to go to heaven, because in fact, heaven's coming to earth when Jesus returns. It's not the other way around. And from an overarching biblical perspective, the story is all about the world that God created and the world that God's going to redeem, not going somewhere else or turning into an angel or floating on a cloud or, or some other kind of weird thing like that. That's mythology, and it might might bring some people comfort, but do you want to be comforted while you're breathing in some toxic fumes, or do you want to know the truth so you can open the window or get out of the room? Exactly. Right? I mean, I'd yeah. rather know the truth so I could be saved rather than be comforted in my slow march to death. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Several thoughts on that. One, even if going to heaven was true, Nowhere in the Bible does it equate it as gospel. So we shouldn't tell people about it in our gospel presentations, even if it was true, mm-hmm. but it's not. And also, an idea of going to heaven undermines the significance and the importance of the resurrection, which is gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in Ephesians 4, uh, we have one hope. Uh, what is that one hope? Is it going to heaven or is it the resurrection? 
Jesus in the early church taught that it was the resurrection. And the Old, Old Testament echoes that as well, as resurrection being the hope for God's people at the end of the age. Uh, I'll just encourage you, if you haven't already thought about it, to think about what is the gospel. If the gospel is so foundational to our Christian walk, we have to get it right. Mm-hmm. We can't change what all the other Christians are going to do in America, but everybody we come into contact with, we can share with them the good news of the coming kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what's so funny, and I don't know if you already knew this or not, but if you go to miriamwebster.com and type in the word gospel, definition 1A is the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. Mir- Miriam, I, I am serious. Merriam-Webster's dictionary? Yeah. Merriam-Webster, definition 1A for the gospel is more accurate than most Christian evangelical tract organizations whose job is to produce these documents to yeah. get people saved. And I find that so ironic. Way to go, Webster's. <laughs> yeah, way to go, dictionary. Great job. <laughs> but uh, all right, so any other concluding thoughts? Like I said earlier, I just want to encourage you to, if you haven't already thought about it, think about it, because the gospel is life-giving. It radically transforms your life. And also, I would encourage you to ask your friends about it. Ask your Christian friends. Ask your pastors. Ask uh, anybody who's uh, an authority to you or a peer to you in the Christian world, and ask them what the gospel is. Because I think, at least in our American culture, Christianity is just a given And so sometimes we can go on autopilot and we don't really think about what we believe. Uh, Just because we go to church doesn't mean everything's all right. It doesn't mean everything we believe is right. Ask the people around you, what is the gospel? Do you have a way for people to get in contact with you if they want to ask you questions or get to know you? Sure. Well, I'm on Facebook. My name is Jacob Rohr. Rohr like a lion, R-O-H-R-E-R. It's German. And uh, also my email, thekingdomgospel at outlook.com. It's ironic. Very, uh, very, very fitting. Very consistent email address with this message that we just heard. So thank you so much, Jacob, for taking the time to talk with us today. Yes, and thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to listen to Jacob Rohr's recent sermon from our youth conference this past January called What to Do When You Fail, I have a link for that in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to... YouTube, where he has a bunch of his sermons posted. If you want to get in contact with him, once again, his email address is thekingdomgospel at outlook.com. And you can even check out a couple of his articles on kingdomuprising.com. He's written an article there on Matthew 4.17 and then another one on Matthew 4.23. Before I wrap up, I just wanted to read out a couple of comments that we've received on restitutio.org. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation, feel free to go to restitutio.org, click on podcast, and scroll down to the episode for today, which will be interview 12, Jacob Rohr on the gospel, and leave your comment. On interview number 10, 20 years of missions in Africa, where I interviewed Dr. Joe and Rebecca Martin, Joshua Obala says, Amen, and to God be the glory. That's a pretty short comment there, but I presume this is somebody that Joe and Rebecca have run into in their journey in Africa. Victor writes, This was so encouraging. Thank you, Joe and Rebecca, for your service and example. I am blessed by your example, 
especially in this stage of your life when in quote unquote retirement, you are not taking a break, taking it easy, wasting your lives, but instead digging in for the gospel unto the end. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Then for interview 11, Joe Martin, looking back on his service at the Atlanta Bible College, Brian writes, Dr. Joe sounds like a great gentleman. What a great testimony, the way ABC received the new four-story building. I enjoy hearing these stories. Thanks for sharing the interview. Hey, if you would like to listen to either of these, whether interview 10 or 11, you can do that. You can subscribe to this podcast. You just search for Restitutio in whatever you use to get your podcasts. Or you can go online to restitutio.org and find these episodes. I highly encourage you to take a look at them. They're both very encouraging and edifying and I think serve as a great example for us of Christian service. So that's it for today. Visit us online for an archive, for articles. Please share this episode. If it's not too much trouble, write us a review in iTunes to help us get the word out. And remember, the truth, my friend, has nothing to fear.